series called Shape to Serve. As I've been reminding you each Sunday, the key verse for this series is Ephesians 2 verse 10, which says, for we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, why? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 tells us is that we're not saved by our good works, Rather, when we put our faith in Christ, we're saved by grace, not by works, but what this verse tells us, Ephesians 2.10, is that one of the reasons why we are saved is so that we do good works, and God has prepared good works for us to do. So not saved by good works, but saved for good works. So... The main idea or point of this series is that God has shaped each of his children in a unique way so that we can serve in a unique way. So the questions I've been asking each week are, how has God shaped you? You know, what are those things that he's put into your life or given to you that that make you unique? What abilities, what spiritual gifts do you have? What what is your background? And all of that. He's shaped us in in a unique way. How has God shaped you? What kind of good works has God prepared beforehand for you to do? And are you willing to do those good works? Now, as we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, it's not enough for us just to do good works We are to do those good works, how? In love. So the motivation for our service must be love. And Jesus is the perfect example of that. Last week we considered uh, John chapter 13, uh, the Last Supper, when Jesus washed his disciples' feet before they ate. And so Jesus, our leader, our Lord and Savior, he shows us, his servants, how we are to serve. He served humbly, sacrificially. He served in love. Of course, the ultimate act of service that he performed was going to the cross, willingly to die for our sins. And so Jesus, our leader, showed us, his servants, how we are to serve. So we started in Ephesians. We're going to finish in Ephesians this morning. Before we get into Ephesians, I have here, I told you a few weeks ago I was going to do this, I have here a survey. I've called it simply Abilities and Service Survey. Maybe some of you filled out a similar survey. I've added a a lot to it, and it's not a perfect survey. It doesn't clear, uh, cover everything. That's why I have some other lines here. But basically what this is, is just indicate you know, what you're interested in, what your abilities are, what, 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 what's your passion, and you can write anything or have any questions at the bottom. But if we could have like uh, three volunteers to pass these out, there are pens in the seats in front of you. In a, if you're in a front seat, maybe someone behind you can pass a pen. But uh, this is for people who consider this church your church, okay? So if you're not a, a regular attender or a member of the church, you don't have to fill this out. You can if you want, but you don't have to. But this is basically for people who consider this Forest Hills 
this church, uh, your church. So uh, after you're done, you can just uh, put them on the back table. I'll collect them. And uh, maybe you have some unknown talent or interest that we're unaware of. And uh, this would be a good way to gauge uh, people's interests and abilities, ways that God has shaped each one of us uniquely. So again, if you want to add something to it, please go ahead. So you can fill that out as uh, we're going through this. Hopefully, you can do both at once. I don't know how well we're, how good we are at multitasking. I've heard you really can't do two things at once well. Uh, but uh, try and fill that out. And uh, we're going to go to back to chapter 2 of Ephesians first before we get into chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 2. Some of those pens might not work right at the first time. They're new pens. You might have to scribble a little bit on the page on a hard surface or something. But uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 18 through 22. The Apostle Paul, he's writing to the Ephesians. He says, for through him, that's Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So I want you to notice the phrases joined together in verse 21 and built together in verse 22. So here the metaphor for the church is a building. The church is a building, Paul says. And we are parts. If you're a Christian, if you put your faith in Christ, you are a part of this building, the church. And the parts of the building come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes. I'm not talking about us in a physical sense. I'm talking about us uh, in those other ways that God has, has shaped us. You know, we're not just all rectangular bricks. We're not all the same. And so that makes uh, the church uh, more challenging, the building of the church. And so we're all unique, we're all different, and we're all parts of this building, the church. We're not all the same. You can look around at uh, just the people in, in this church and see that we're not all the same. You know, we have differences in, in gender, age, ethnicity, personalities, abilities, and, and so on. And this is what God wants. He doesn't want us to be all the same. So we're all different from one another. But we also are all equal to one another. So in the verses I just read, we see this equality in two ways. First of all, we all have equal access to God. Verse, 13, uh, verse 18 says, For through Christ we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So at a concert, you know, some people, I've never had this opportunity, but some people can, can get a, a backstage pass. So they get special access to the musician or the band. But not everyone at that concert gets that same 
access. Well, Paul says we both have access to the Father. And you might wonder, well, who, who is he talking about when he says we both have access? Well, if you look at the context, he's, he's referring to Jews and Gentiles. And uh, verse 14 talks about there being a separation in those days between Jews and Gentiles, a dividing wall, Paul calls it, that separated Jews and Gentiles. And he says that Jesus broke down that wall. That was a big issue back in the first century. When the Old Testament scriptures were given to Israel, Jesus was born a Jew, the apostles were Jews, the church started in Jerusalem, but then they were told to go out and spread the gospel to people of all nations. And so when uh, Jews and Gentiles, when they came together as Christians, they were to be one, one church. So he says in verse 13, those who were far off, the Gentiles, have been brought near into the people of God. By the death of Jesus on the cross, verse 13, by the blood of Christ, verse 14, in his flesh. So Paul is saying there's not one church for the Jews and another church for the Gentiles. There's only one church. He says Christ has made one new man. That means one new humanity, one new human race in the place of the two, verse 15. So one church, not two or more. Though there were big differences in the backgrounds of Jews and Gentiles. So what this tells us is that there's no group of people that has greater access to God than another group within the church. All have equal access to God. You and I belong in God's presence if you're a child of God. Saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Each one of us, you could say, has a a backstage pass to the throne room of God. Each one of us is a VIP in God's presence. We're all different, but we all have equal access to God. And then secondly, we all have equal status in the church, verses 19 through 22. Now in verse 19, the word you refers to the Gentiles that were part of the church of of Ephesus. Notice the words, so then. In these verses, Paul is talking about the implications of of Gentiles having equal access to God. They are now, verse 19, fellow citizens with the saints. Verse 19, members of the household or family of God. And verse 22, a dwelling place or a temple for God. So equal status. Jews and Gentiles. You know, the Jews had a temple. You read about that in the Old Testament. But now the people of God, both Jews and Gentiles, are a temple, a temple of the Holy Spirit, God's presence within us and among us. So what is stressed in this passage is our equality and our unity. Jesus died wanting us to be one. In John chapter 17, before his death, Jesus prays to the Father. And really, the thing that stands out is that he prays for his followers to be one. Not to be divided, but to be one. Uh, One commentator on Ephesians says, It is the heart and passion of Jesus Christ for his church to transcend the cultural and economic barriers that separate and divide. So when you, when you consider that Jesus died to break down the wall between people, 
that he prayed for unity among his people, then disunity is a great offense against Jesus. And it's also uh, terribly destructive to our witness to the world. We say that we're the followers of Christ, but are we acting like the one we're supposed to be following? Now, what is true of the worldwide church, you know, Christians all around the world, is, is, is also true about the local church. Each one of us here at Forest Hills has equal access to God, equal status in God's eyes. Each one of us belongs in God's presence. Just because I'm the pastor doesn't mean I have a greater status in this church than any other member of this church. Equal status, equal access. And uh, we're to see that. We're to be unified. A church is meant to display miraculous unity. That's something we need to strive for. Unity in our diversity honors Christ and shows the gospel's life-transforming power. This means overcoming the things that naturally divide us. And so we need to keep in mind what Christ's will is for his people, for his church, and for his local churches. That we're to see one another as having equal access to God and equal status before God. And may that knowledge work to, to unify us. Now let's go over to chapter 4 of Ephesians. We won't read the whole passage again. Stanley did a great job reading it already. So, verse 7. Let's go down to verse 7. But keep in mind, if you remember, or just look at verse, verses 1 through 6 now. But verse 7 writes, or Paul writes, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, if you look quickly at the previous verses, verses 4 through 6, you'll notice the word one, O-N-E, is there several times, seven times. It speaks of unity. The word all occurs four times in verse 6. So, so Paul here in chapter 4 begins by talking about our unity in Christ. But now he wants to say something about our diversity. Find the words, each one of us. So, diversity and unity. So Paul says that grace was given to each one of us. So what does he mean? Well, one thing we need to realize is that the word grace in Scripture doesn't always mean saving grace. That's what it means in chapter 2 when it says in verse 8, by grace you have been saved through faith, that's, that's saving grace. We're saved by God's grace. It's a gift that we receive by faith. But here the word grace means something different. Still the thought there is of, of a gift, but it's a different kind of gift now in verse four, chapter 4, verse 7. Here the word grace, you could say, means serving grace. In other words, grace from God that gives us the ability 
to serve. Now, it's pretty much the same thing that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 12, where we were about three weeks ago, when he talked about spiritual gifts. This, this grace given to us are these, these spiritual or abilities that, that God gives us to serve. So our ability for service has been given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So Christ is the one who's determined which ability or abilities you have been given. Now sometimes you might think, well, I wish I had another gift. I wish I had the gift that that person has. But then you're saying that Christ made a mistake when he gave you your gift. So he's given, according to his grace, gifts or grace or spiritual gifts, abilities, however, whichever term you want to use that Scripture gives us, God has given us ways or abilities in which we can serve. Now, what's the purpose of this? Why is he given gifts to each one of us? Look at verses 11 and, and 12. And, and here, he's not talking about gifts, but rather people who are gifted. And here, uh, it's talking about people who are gifted with the ability to, to uh, teach or preach the word of God. So, servants of the word, you might call them. So, and he gave, Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So Paul says there are people who are gifted by Christ to, to teach God's word, to equip or to prepare the church for the work of ministry. So if you're a child of God, and we've said this already, but this passage really, I think, brings everything together, or a lot of it that we've been looking at these last few weeks, that God has given to the church gifted people. Here he names a few, but that's not obviously a complete list, so that the church might, might function as God intends for it. Now, you might be thinking, and I've said this before, but you might be thinking, I don't know what, what ability God has given to me. I don't know what gift or what grace he's, he's given to me. I don't know how I'm supposed to serve, serve Christ, serve others, serve in the church. Well, let me ask you this. How did you discover you were good at anything? Did you expect it, the information to fall out of the sky and say, you are good at knitting, you are good at basketball? Probably you just tried doing things, and, and sometimes you found you were, were, were talented in that area. You had a gift. Or maybe you started at something, you, it was a struggle, but eventually you, you got quite good at that thing, whatever it was. And so it's, it's a similar thing, probably pretty much the same within the church as, as Christians. And God has shaped us in different ways, and we have different abilities, strengths, interests, and uh, we just need to start doing something, and then, I believe, we will find out those ways in which we can most effectively serve. So we've been given different abilities. That's what verse 7 is saying. Christ has given to each one of us different abilities, different ways we can serve. It might not be just one, might be several ways. 
And we don't just have to serve in ways that we're the best at or that we're most gifted in, but you know, all sorts of different ways we can serve, but maybe we want to focus on those ways we're especially gifted in. Uh, but we've been given these different abilities, and, and my second main point is, even though we have these different abilities, we all share the same goal. So we're different but equal, different abilities but the same goal. Uh, verse 13 tells us one of those goals, and this isn't a complete list of our goals as a church, but one of those goals is to get along. We've already seen that with what Paul says about unity. First half of verse 13 says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So here Paul is talking about uh, unity in what we believe especially about Christ, doesn't mean that we'll agree on maybe every fine point of theology, but we need to agree on those things that are really essentials of the Christian faith, especially those things about Christ and, and God's grace and salvation. So knowledge is not the goal, even knowledge about Christ. Theological unity should lead to relational unity. We were uh, in Philippians chapter 2 in our Sunday school class, which speaks about how Christ humbled himself. He took on the form of a servant, how he ultimately was obedient to the plan of the Father and died on a cross for us, ultimate act of service. And when you think about that truth about Christ, and if we all are in agreement that this is what Christ did, then that should lead to doing something to our attitudes about one another, our thoughts, our actions, our words. What we believe about Christ should help us get along with others. If, if He, our Lord, our Savior, acted this way, washing His disciples' feet, dying on a cross... Uh, thinking of others before himself, we could go on and on about the example of Christ. If he, our Lord, did that, and he said this himself, then we, his followers, are to do likewise. Our beliefs shouldn't stay in our heads. What we believe about Christ should affect our behavior. Now, unity doesn't mean sameness. Again, we're all different. We're unique, and God likes that. We retain our uniqueness but we are to, at the same time, strive for, for unity. To, to get along is one way of putting it. And even when we all believe the same things about Christ and the gospel, that we're supposed to be servants like Christ and that we're supposed to love one another as Christ has loved us and going on and on about the things that we know, that we believe, even if we all agree to that, unity still isn't easy. It's sometimes not easy even when we want to get along with one another in the church. So, so one truth we must not forget is that, yes, we are both, we are individuals, but we are also one body. So the Christian faith is not an, really an individual faith. It's not just about me and Jesus. It's about us. It's about 
the body of Christ. We are joined to Christ, and we're also joined to one another because we are in Christ. We are in his body. And so we are individuals, and we are different from one another with different abilities, but we are one body, one church. So we're to get along, and it's a struggle. And the second thing, second goal that we see here is that we are to grow up, verses Second part of 13 down to verse 15 and verse 16 as well. First, uh, second half of verse 13 says, to mature manhood. It says manhood because we're talking about the body of Christ here. To mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Again, this is something we are to attain to. And when you think about Growth in the church, you might think about numerical growth, growing in numbers. Paul talks about the church, a building growing, chapter 2, verse 21, which would, would suggest numerical growth. More pieces, more people are being joined together. And second, there's also spiritual growth. I believe this is the type of growth that Paul is talking about in verse 13 of chapter 4. Spiritual maturity or Christ-likeness. And God wants both kinds of growth. So he's given us the goal of, of mature manhood. He's talking about the church as a whole. Not of, not of us as just individuals, but the church as a whole, the body. Growing to mature manhood, maturity. We're the body of Christ. We want the body of Christ to match the head. Imagine if you're, if you're an adult, imagine your adult head going on your two-year-old body. That wouldn't be, that wouldn't look quite right. That wouldn't be right. You know, that's not what Christ wants of his church. He wants uh, the body to match the head, to grow to mature manhood, to be like Jesus And so that requires us as individuals to be like Jesus. What does that look like? Well, it means to be more humble, patient, more gentle, less bitter, more forgiving. You can think about how Jesus dealt with with Peter after Peter denied Jesus following the arrest of Jesus. And what did did Jesus do? He He was gentle. With Peter, he, he forgave Peter. He loved Peter. Even though Peter had failed Jesus so, so terribly, abandoning him, denying him in that moment where Jesus was uh, arrested and soon to be crucified, Jesus was an example to how to, how to deal with someone who, who, has, who has failed us or hurt us. And hopefully we'll be like Peter if we've done that to someone and uh, be repentant like Peter was of his sin. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So we're not to be like gullible children. 
So how serious are we about growing up? You know, this kind of growth, spiritual growth, unlike much of physical growth, doesn't just happen naturally. God wants us to get along and grow up. These are two of our God-given goals. You know, parents sometimes have to tell their children, they have more than one, to get along, to grow up, to be more mature if they're of a certain age. You know, in my experience, I never have really had a problem with one of my children when it was just them and me. They're always as good as gold when it's just me and them. But when you add another child into the mix, there's that rivalry, that, that fighting, who, who had uh, the bigger piece of cake and all of that. Uh, so when you add another person into the mix, another child, or we think of Christians, when you add more people, there's that challenge for, for, for unity. And that's our challenge, and that's a challenge of every church, to get along, to grow up, to be more like Christ. How do we get along and grow up? Well, Paul says here it's by having the knowledge of Christ and the gospel and allowing that knowledge to direct our lives, especially our interactions with one another. So notice in verse 16, he he talks about each part of the body of Christ working properly. It's important for each part to be working properly. I've mentioned my stove, my kitchen stove before, and uh, we tried once again to add another part. Before we had a temperature sensor, it doesn't work on the bake setting. We have to roast everything, and sometimes it doesn't turn out as well as it should. So this week, Marcia ordered a heating element and changed that, but that didn't work. So it's frustrating when you know there's a part not working, you just don't know what part. But uh, if, if, if certain parts are not working in a stove, you know, it's not going to function, not going to work as it should. So each one of us, if you're a Christian, if this is your church, if you're a member or maybe you're not a member yet, but a attender of this church. You're a part of the body of Christ, this body. It's important that we're all working properly. If not, the body won't function. The church won't function as it should. So we're told that we are to be doing the work of ministry, to be building up or strengthening the body of Christ. We're not going to get to everything in this passage, but let me wrap it up with this. And that is, that building up the body of Christ, the church, should be a priority for every Christian. You shouldn't think of it as other people's responsibility. You should think of it as, as my responsibility, your responsibility. God has given to us grace or, or gifts. He's given us a unique background and 
all sorts of unique ways in which we can serve opportunities and so on. And so this should be a priority for each one of us. Each one of us as members of the body need to be building up the body. And I say that whether you're officially a member of this church or another church or not. It's, it's each one of our responsibilities. So what are you doing to build up the body of Christ? No, have you made that a, a priority in your life? You know, maybe you say you don't have time, but you might have less time than some, but if we make it a priority, then we can do this. Usually you make time for those things that are priorities. So two main points just to review. We're all different from one another, but we all are equal to one another. Can't forget that. And second, we have been given different abilities, but we all share the same goal. So we should use our abilities toward that goal or goals. Here to get along and to, to grow into Christ-likeness. So here's my final question. Are you, maybe there's one more, but are you a functioning Body, a part of the body of Christ. Are you a functioning part of the body of Christ? That, that word functioning is, is an important word. You can think about the thumb. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the parts of the body and how they need to be all working properly. Think about the thumb. I've never lived a day really without my thumb or the use of my thumb. But I can imagine it would be challenging if the thumb just stopped working for whatever reason. I thought about that this morning. I tried to write with my pencil, and I, I normally use my thumb, so I'd have to adjust that. If I was swinging a hammer, I'm not sure I could probably do it, but not quite as well. So I could still live. I wouldn't die if my thumb was, was cut off or it stopped working. But, you know, I would suffer in some ways. You know, my, the body wouldn't function as well as it should. And so we need a thumb to be working, functioning properly. Maybe, maybe you're the thumb of this church. What if you're not functioning properly? Yes, we'll probably survive, but we won't function as well as we could or should. And so we're all to be functioning parts of the body of Christ. If you're a part of, of this church, then all of us need to be functioning parts, members of this body here at Forest Hills. So God has brought us together. We're to be one. We're to, we're to get along. We're to grow into Christ-likeness. And, and to do that properly and effectively, we're to build one another up in the body of Christ and to be what, what God wants us to be, then all of us need to be a functioning part of the body of Christ. So are you a functioning part of the body of Christ?